In 2018, then-District Attorney Cyrus Vance began investigating Donald Trump's business dealings. With the Trump case in particular, it shows the importance of having prosecutors who are independent from the federal system and direction by the head of the federal government, the president. I'm Preet Bharara, and this week, Vance joins me on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, to discuss the historic verdict in the Trump trial, the politicization of his former office, and what happens now. The episode is out now. Search and follow Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. Hatch closed, we're seated, and you can hear the guy outside unhooking us from the ship, and he leaves us, and we're there, bobbing on the surface, waiting for the go. Mission to dive, 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 dive. Unexplainable has been exploring the most extreme places on the planet, and this week we're going to the deepest place on Earth. I was like, holy moly, that is deep. <laughs> Just the feeling of, you know, being at that depth, we're literally a tiny dot. If you think how vast the ocean is. Listen to Unexplainable for new episodes every Wednesday. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. How are you doing, Scott? Uh, I'm in the midst, I think, of like two days into a three-day hangover i went out saturday night to a place called the box which is is this sort of dirty vaudeville club in london and i keep forgetting that i'm not 57 again no i keep drinking too much cara oh Um, dear we're gonna have to have an intervention i will fly to london if i need to i don't mind an intervention i like it when we sit around and talk about me yes that's true that's true i I went to a basketball game last night with my son alex yes we went to see the washington wizards play the milwaukee bucks it was a very close game the bucks won but it was super close to the end and we had i actually we had a lovely time yeah it was very nice there's a lot going on at at basketball games yeah 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 yeah, it's hard to argue. There's a lot of like dunking and dancing and noise, yeah. and so I enjoyed it quite a bit. I enjoyed yeah. it quite yeah. a bit, and I, I don't uh, like I, sports, as you know. Oh, really? I yeah. like the Miami Heat games because there's a ton of hot people. Oh, I don't. This was not that. That was not the case here in Washington. Well, Milwaukee and Washington—that's kind of the land yeah. where hot people go to die. <laughs> I mean, it's just. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, they've done a nice job. That downtown area used to be bombed out uh, when Mm -hmm. I was younger. When I was working at the city paper, and you know, with Ted Leonsis, who I know pretty well, um, who used to be there, has has done. You know, it's owned by Ted and Lorraine Powell Jobs. The team is, but what they've done downtown is really spectacular. Um, You know, it's very like lots of restaurants and uh, funk going on, but it's actually so much better than what what was there. Um, for so many years, they've really revived that area. I like a big event. I don't do them very often, but I like it. That's nice. Yeah, yeah I wasn't in Bonding. a box. It wasn't a box. It was like lots of people. Um, and Alex explained everything to me, none of which I was paying attention to because I was mostly interested in the dunkers and the dancers and, and all the noise that they made and stuff like that. That was great. But you were in the box. What was the vaudeville? What was the vaudeville routine? It's... To call it vaudeville, it's basically pornography with the style of vaudeville. Oh, it's okay. very dirty and very strip, simulated yes. sex stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, you know, 
uh, hot woman dancing around, and then what do you know? She has a dick, or someone oh, gets a phone wow. call, and their phone is hidden someplace, oh. very awkward on their body. It's oh, just, no. it's all what? like we all like can't look away, but keep going back. Sounds like a scene um, from The Godfather. Do you remember that one? No, this is not The Godfather. This is more like Blue Velvet with better production values. Oh wow! So did you enjoy it? Do you like that? That makes me feel awkward. Those kind of things. Um, I find that. The thing that really um, solves every awkward situation for me is the kappa drinking. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's there's a few there's a few moments where you're like, whoa, I can't believe they're doing that. But yeah. in general, it's a lot of creativity. You just gotta admire people that have a vision for like, we're gonna find this shitty space. Yeah, we're gonna bring in a bunch of really young, talented people who might be a little bit off Broadway, mm-hmm. and Way we're gonna be like we're it. gonna collide creativity and profanity and vulgarity and mm-hmm. make this crazy cool atmosphere that, you know, douchebags well, from New York will pay $10,000 for a table for. So I just respect capitalism. You know, uh, uh, London's got a lot of vulgarity, I'll tell you, for you, forever since the beginning, like in that sort of side, quiet, back room kind of stuff that happens in London. I guess every city does. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's any. I mean, supposedly this is a place where Prince Harry was having orgies in the basement. I don't Ew. know how much of that is true, but okay. Um, Did you get down there? Oh yeah, and I got amazing head from Jada Pinkett's boyfriend. <laughs> Maybe she can interview me about. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Anyway, yeah. well, I'm so glad we have such different experiences. <laughs> so funny. yeah, you know, I did. I was in L.A. I interviewed Mark Benioff. And, oh yeah, uh, that's right. Jamie Lee Curtis. And it was on John Lovett's uh, show. Jamie Lee Curtis was she's one of my first fan crushes. Friggin-tastic. We're gonna public yeah, we're great. gonna post the interview. Do you know she's an entrepreneur? She created Instagram before Instagram called iPhony. And she said this to me, and I'm like, Yeah, whatever, Jamie Lee Curtis. And then she showed me her site, which was a year before Instagram, which she, she gathered 30 really great photographers and they posted photos and talked about them. And it was like it was in that it was down that alley. And so it was kind of cool. And she also has a patent on a diaper called Dipe and Wipe, which she sent wow. me a patent for, which is a diaper for those with children with a wipe and a bag in it. So you have the whole thing in the diaper. It's actually fucking brilliant. It was amazing. She never huh. made it. She's quite entrepreneurial. Very fascinating. Uh, she strikes me as a very impressive woman. She is. And her time has come because she's been more of an entertainment thing. She talked about, you know, her and Tom Cruise couldn't believe they were at the Oscar lunch because, you know, True Lies and Freaky Friday and the Halloween movies and, of course, The Fish Called Wanda. But this new movie, every uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, is really moved her into a category and she is enjoying herself uh, quite a bit, you know, the, the attention and the Oscar. Yeah, I like her. I think she's talented and I'm not even going to bring up her her unbelievable rack. It just wouldn't be yeah. appropriate. <laughs> not even going to talk about it, Kara. Okay, I thought you were going to say Activia, but she talks about it because she made a fortune off of it. That's Activia yogurt that makes her. you poop. Yogurt that makes you poop. Yeah, I like, I really enjoy her. She was great. She's a neat woman. Yeah, she was great. I interviewed her with the head of Universal Pictures, Donna Langley, who was also fantastic. Anyway, we have a lot to talk about today. Congress is moving closer to a TikTok ban. I cannot believe Scott Galloway's efforts have have resulted in this. We'll discuss whether or not that actually solves a problem. Also, the GOP targets big tech and big business in its war on freedom. We'll speak with an expert on online speech, Jeff Kossoff, about new bills that could impact the First Amendment. Uh, there's a lot of them uh, around, including an anti-drag bill in Tennessee. Oh, they can't do drag. I, 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 
we'll go into it in a minute. Um, did you watch uh, Chris Rock live on Netflix? I have not seen it. I did not watch it live. It was the platform's first live global event. It got great reviews. I have not. I've seen um, I've seen a few clips of it or, or, or references to it on social, but I didn't see it. I will watch it. That's yeah. the great thing about streaming, right? It's kind of up to me. Right. But what what did you think of them doing a live event? I think it makes a ton of sense. I thought it was really visionary when I think Disney did a live Hamilton. There's mm -hmm. something about live that creates a certain electricity. And mm -hmm. I think live comedy shows are great. I think Chris Rock is wonderful. I've yeah. always liked him. I think he's yeah. just brilliant. And I love the fact that, quite frankly, I, I was really, you know, as far as I can tell, this was sort of the revenge show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I was really, really I funny. Know, I'm trying to understand why I still don't. I had such a visceral, awful reaction to what happened at the Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. And I remember I had been, I'd actually um, advised, not advised, but done a call with the Academy stewards or board members or whatever. And I immediately called the head of the Academy and I'm like, with all my advice on how they handle this situation, yeah. I'm like, God knows she must have been getting advice from everybody the next day. But, you know, I was at the time, I'm like, you know, the guy should be arrested. I was yeah. so just, yep. uh, just many people upset think so. Yep, and uh, just shaken by the whole thing. Yeah, many people think. think and that's I exactly. thought, I thought he handled it. Uh, I thought Chris Rock just handled himself with such composure. He's quite honest. What happened here in this thing? I watched the parts of it, that part of it, and well, he does it, a great it, job unpacking exactly what was happening. And he went there, yeah. you know, in terms of not being mean, but. Here's what went down. Just Here's pointing what... out the fact that this guy's yeah. wife was fucking his son's friend. I mean, yeah. there's that. Not just that, there's but the that. way he unpacked about why And then why decided he... to interview, and then decided she should interview the husband about how he felt about it. Yeah, I mean, exactly. These, these people should be forced to live in a duplex condo with Harry and Meghan and just oh, see what happens. Your favorite people. Anyway, I thought it was great, and kudos to uh, several people at Netflix, including Bella Bajaria, who organized it along with the head of comedy. And I think it's a great idea to Netflix to do some live events, not all the time, yeah. but they're oh, moving fun. into it. They're moving into right? it. Yeah. Uh, on to other news. Amazon will pause construction on its second headquarters in Virginia. Um, they have built part of it. The first phase will still open in June with 8,000 employees, but it's after they cut 18,000 jobs two months after. Reminder, Amazon selected Arlington, Virginia and Long Island City in New York as the cities for its New York headquarters, but later scrapped New York City due to pushback from the community, including Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, resisted the idea at the time and took to Twitter to say the pause confirms the pushback was justified, saying, we protected New Yorkers from a scam deal to drain public dollars from schools and infrastructure in exchange for empty promises of, quote, Amazon jobs with zero guarantees or guardrails. Well, you made some predictions on this topic in 2018 on CNBC. Let's listen. I've been on the board of a dozen private and public companies who all talk about a second headquarters, and it always ends up one place where the CEO wants to spend more time. This, the new headquarters are going to be in the metro area of New York or D.C., because that's where a 53-year-old uh, man worth $105 billion wants to spend more time. Some of these other cities, it's ridiculous that they even entertain the notion and have them spend so much time trying yeah. to produce a term sheet that they will then go again and get someone else to match. Well, there you go, Scott. You were correct. Well, I was wrong. It was both. Both, I kept, yeah. I was running around on Fox and everything. It's going to be D.C. or New York because that's yeah. where he has homes. And I was yeah. wrong to pick both. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, guys... he didn't ever go to New York. He never went to New York, actually. Well, then they announced it. And then New York said, yeah. sorry, girlfriend, not here. Yeah, yeah. So do you think she was right? I think she was right. So they did whatever that was good for them. 
this was, in my view, yeah. such an incredibly poor reflection on the character of the board of directors of Amazon to engage in this fraudulent ruse circus yep. to get Phoenix and Columbus, Ohio to spend Send, money like, and time food and shit, yeah, and believe that they had any shot that yeah. And what we for, what we forget is that we always think about these things through the lens of shareholder value and business. They're people. And a guy who's 53 and worth $100 billion, yeah. he's not going to spend six days, much less six weeks a year in Columbus, Ohio, yeah, because he doesn't have to. And he bought homes. He bought this big fat home in Calorama and then another yeah, home on there. the Upper East Side. And it was just so obvious. These are where the headquarters are going to go. Yeah. And Although they created, he might buy the commanders, so they might be in D.C. a lot more, by the way. So they just created, and the board knew about it. And mm -hmm. rather than saying, well, maybe we should be letting these cities who are underfunded and have a limited amount of attention and time, let them focus on schools yeah. and crime. Instead, we're going to lie to them every day and pretend yeah. that, oh, yeah, no, you have a shot, Columbus, Ohio. Just, yeah. just let's whip it up into a frenzy. And you know what they did? They took the best term Circus. sheet. Yeah. And they went to New York and they went to DC and said, all you have to do is match it. And we're yeah. here, which yeah. is impossible. It just, it, it was nothing but an elegant gamification resulting in a transfer of time and resources from yep. cities to the two that they had already decided they were going to. Yeah. It reflects really poorly on the board that they let Jeff Bezos engage in this midlife crisis ruse at the expense of local yeah, well, municipalities. Well, it reflects well on AOC who wasn't having any of it anyway. Whatever AOC uh, did with respect to um, helping to ensure that Amazon didn't take advantage in that region, it was it was really a fraction of what State Senator Michael Gianaris did. Yep. Um, he was the one that was out in front on this. He but, was, yeah. I think they have to. You can't just get freebies from for these billionaires. That's I think my issue was the issue was that. Anyway, speaking of billionaires, Scott, did you hear my excellent interview with Mark Benioff? Do you have another you, podcast? <laughs> you can listen to it in the feed for On with Kara Swisher. It was quite testy and fun and interesting. And he sort of, we whacked each other back and forth. But shares of the company are up 16% after beating earnings expectations. Fourth quarter revenue rose by 14% over a year. The company also announced an expansion of its share buyback program. Reminder, in the State of Union, Biden proposed a quadrupling of its stock buyback tax. Um, I think he really pushed back the active investors. He took control of the company again. No more co-CEO. And of course, we did talk about that. He said he had an heir. Um, but uh, it was, it was he, if he wants to be a good CEO, certainly Mark Benioff can do it. So there you have it. Yeah, I'm curious what you thought the most surprising part of the interview is. But, you know, their earnings were buck sixty-eight versus $1.36 expected. Revenue is yeah. $8.4 versus 8 I mean, he had a blowout quarter. Yeah, because he did revenue it. Grew, revenue grew 14%. It's hard to grow. I mean, if you grow revenue 14%, that basically means every five and a half years, you're doubling the size of your business. So. He's got to stay above 10, but he's he scrambled the jets. You know what I mean? Like he focused. He yeah, wasn't great. focused, obviously. Nobody was. And cleaned it up, laid people off, did all the things. He sort of did an Iger. I said he Igered the place and pushed back the investors. I mean, the investors just want the stock up, but um, he definitely yeah. had had not been focusing, let's just say. And he's certainly a very good CEO. You know, we had a very testy back and forth about Elon and the stuff he was saying, everyone has to find their inner Elon. And I was like, really, you know, uh, racist, misogynist and homophobic? What part? Because he had been pushing that he had protected his gay and lesbian employees, which he did in Indiana. And so I was like, you can't. And then he was saying he was two sides of one coin and you can like one side, not the other. He said, a person's not a coin, Mark. And But it was good to see that attitude 
mm-hmm. out in the open. You know, he listened, and, and like, unlike most of them, he doesn't get all hot and bothered when you disagree with him, which was a pleasure to talk to him in that regard. Also, I don't, I don't know, I don't know Mark well, but I do know him, and I find him. Um, I don't know what the term is man of the people. Like I saw him at his uh, holiday party. Yeah, and he, when you get to that level of power and wealth, yeah, I think it's easy to become lazy or expect people to come up to you. No, he's and very he comes friendly. Up, he comes up to people and he shakes their hand and he asks how they're doing. He seems yeah. genuinely interested in the welfare of other people. I think yeah. he's very likable. I think he's the kind of guy you want to have power or you mind less yeah. having power. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Um, I, so I think he's trying to I'm see Elon's best him. side. I think that's his way. He's you know very into the, the guru stuff and the meditation. And I think he's very much like, let's look at his best side. I said, let's look at his not best side for a minute. Like, don't excuse it just because he can. He kept saying he can land a rocket on. Um, he can land a rocket on a surfboard. Isn't that amazing? And I said, I said, you know, Mark, if he <laughs> if he drowned a you know a ship of puppies, you'd say, buddy, landed a rocket on a on a. Mm-hmm. You know, he landed a rocket on a surfboard. I mean, the puppies suck, but uh So it was good. He was gay. He he was good. We had a good exchange, and it was good to for people to see that attitude and he depicted it rather well, but he wasn't an arrogant prick in doing so. So that was nice. So. Yeah, but that's the best act. You talked about the activists. It's Elliot. That's the best activist investment ever. You go in, yeah. you write a letter just saying, hey, we're here. Not yeah. planning to do anything yet. How can we be helpful? And the stock goes up, you know, the stock's up 41% year to day. It is, yeah. The best activist investment in the world is one where you don't have to go active. Yeah, they don't. And I think we'll see where it goes. He definitely has to. Uh, Elliot wasn't totally thrilled with everything. They still want the heir apparent thing to happen, which he, uh, same thing over that at Disney. Sense. He should do that. Yeah. Um, and he took a real slap at Vivek Ramaswamy. He says, you know, Carrie, you probably have more stock than this guy. He's running for president. He's the anti-ESG guy. All he does is write anti-gay and anti-all. He's woke anti-woke guy, and uh, and he took a real slam at him, as did I, but there you have it. Mm-hmm. There's a big departure at Apple, Michael Abbott, Abbott's, uh, Apple's top executive in charge of cloud initiatives, is reportedly stepping down. His role will be taken over one of the company's most senior engineering leaders, Jeff Robin. There's a lot of exits in recent months, including Peter Stern, who helped establish Apple TV, and executives in charge of industrial design, information systems, and more. Uh, there's not a lot of departures at Apple, typically, so that's why people are taking note of this. I wonder how much of it is, and you might have some insight here. I, I know nothing about this other than I just look at the natural arc of a company and people's lives. Yeah. And a lot of these executives have been there for a while. For a long time. Apple is now the most valuable company in the world. It's worth over $2 trillion. Mm-hmm. The run-up since all of these people have been there has been yep. extraordinary. They're probably in their 50s, late 50s, maybe early 60s, and they've made a shit ton of money. And a lot of them are probably thinking – you know, this might be a time to to do something else or step back or spend more time with my kids. Or I wonder how much of it is just genuine, like, like I want to, I, I have a ton of money. I've been working my ass off. The yeah. stock's at a high. It probably doesn't, the stock over the next, you know, few years probably isn't going to go up three or five fold. Yeah. At least I don't, I don't see how it would realistically. Maybe this is a good time to ring the bell, yeah. declare victory and leave. They, yeah, I would agree with you. I think they've been there. I mean, it is remarkable. We had when Walt retired, they did a little party, all the executives for Walt, just a surprise mm-hmm. thing when they had an event and we showed up at this thing and they were all had been it was all the top executives. They'd been there forever. And they are 
all still there. That was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think it must be like, okay, you know, Johnny Ive left, obviously, that was a big departure. And certain people left because of, you know, back and forth with some of the executives, like Scott Forstall and some others. But I do think at some point you're like, all right, time to go, you know. But they have, they, it's, it's a remarkably um, consistent management team there at Apple since forever. In the last 10 years, the stock's up tenfold. Yep. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really. I it's mean. it's at some point you're like okay do I really want to keep working this hard? Yeah, they haven't done layoffs the way others have. They well, they also didn't do as they they didn't hire as aggressively. They didn't. They're very. They, they, I always thought Tim Cook. Tim Cook's reign will be described as the adult in the room. I've always thought that he's just this entire management team. They don't shitpost other companies. They're much more discreet. They just they just sort of always define kind of adult supervision. There's big yep. tech and then there's Apple. Yep, exactly. Doing well also, another billionaire uh, CEO leader doing well. Okay, let's get to our first big story. Washington's clock is ticking closer to a TikTok ban. Get that clock, TikTok. Senator Mark Warner, a Democrat who chairs the Senate Intelligence Committee, who we hope to have on, said on Sunday that he'll introduce a bill that could ban foreign technology, including TikTok. Here he is on Fox News Sunday. If they suddenly want to dial up the fact that we are going to decrease the content that criticizes Mm -hmm. Chinese leadership, but increase the content that your kids may be seeing saying, hey, you know, Taiwan really is part of China. That is a distribution model that would make RT or Sputnik or some of the Russian propaganda models pale in comparison. I wonder where they got those analogies. I know. It sounds like you were hanging out with them behind <laughs> you, puppet master. Last week, Republicans on the House Foreign Affairs Committee voted to advance a bill that would give President Biden an authority to ban TikTok. None of the committee's Democrats voted for the bill. One Democratic leader called it, quote, dangerously overbroad, and I would agree. Uh, so did the Commerce Secretary. It's for to attack one company is problematic and probably will have all kinds of court challenges in this country where we have courts that do that. Biden seems eager to do something like this. What gives and what will happen given all the U.S. ownership of TikTok? Let's not forget that. This is one of the few bipartisan issues. This is politically going to be a big win for Biden. Um, Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about this is I haven't seen this many moderate Democrats this riled up. I mean, you have Senator Warner, you have Senator Bennett who, who called for a ban. These are not you know, these are moderates. And also Senator Warren, uh, Warner, I'm a big fan of, and he actually, he's one of the 4% of our elected representatives in Washington that has a background in technology or engineering. Yep, he does. So he's just not fooled easily. He comes he comes with real domain expertise here. And he's also seen as someone who's not always going for political points. You know, he just kind of reeks of integrity, like that, that, he, that he's not doing this to try and get reelected or raise more money. Um, I think this is a big issue. I think it's an important issue. I think he summarized it exactly. I am very concerned. And I always go back to the analogy of the movie, The Sting. The best con is a con where you don't know you've been conned. And I think we're going to find out, Kara, mm-hmm. that for the last several years, uh, the CCP has been very elegantly putting their thumb on the scale of anti-Western content. 
And I worry that we're raising a generation of civic business nonprofit and military leaders who just generally feel a little bit shittier about America every day. Well, and now, I think there's interesting. Sorry, go ahead. I, I don't know. I don't know that. I, you know, that's the thing. It's so hard to find within the, um, I don't say mess that is TikTok, but it's so broad and so many topics. And how do you know what they're doing? There was a fascinating, actually, story and in information about all the kids of tech leaders like Eve Jobs and uh, Alexis Cuban and uh, Phoebe Gates, who are on TikTok or Instagram, uh, any of them, but TikTok too, who are trying to be influencers on there, which was interesting. But everyone's on there doing something. So you'd be hard to figure out, you know, put your finger on them doing that. And I don't, does banning one company get to the root of the problem? Is that is that advisable to pick one company? Um, although a report in Gizmodo found nearly 30,000 apps and websites sending data to TikTok via tracking pixels. Now that happens with all the other social networks too. So is it, is it good to, to target one company or is it just because this is, a, this is the example we make? So what do we know? We know that as we go younger, people, generations as we go younger, they feel shittier and shittier about America to the yeah. point where, quite frankly, they're not really looking at the data. Things are bad, but they're better than they have been. And to not recognize any of the progress we've made means you are um, being overly cynical and dangerously negative about the future of America. What do we also know? As you go younger, more and more time on social media. Uh, and what do we also know? And you're right, it's no one culprit here, but I don't think when it comes to national security, or something that is that has got a greater consumption uh, by our youth than the rest of media. I don't think we start from a position of we well, have to prove it first because when it comes to China, they decided they didn't need to prove anything. They would just mm -hmm. unilaterally bring in our companies long enough to steal our IP and then kick us out. Yes, they did. So while I believe Facebook and Meta do exactly the same thing, but they do it for money, they do it, don't do it for geopolitical purposes. At least we get, I would argue, some benefit here. And when you have a bad actor who says, you know, and here's the thing, I think it's, a, they say, well, you can't find proof of this. I'm not sure we'll ever find proof because it would be so easy to do. We're yeah. talking about one engineer could do right. this. Yeah. So my sense is we, we should be starting when we're talking about national defense, mm -hmm. when we're talking about our youth, when we're talking about how they feel about the flag, when we're talking about something that is bigger than the rest of all media combined for a younger generation, mm -hmm. I think you start from a position of overcorrecting. And uh, so I'm not one that's like, well, what does this mean for other companies? Should we have a measured approach? I think we start from the where the Chinese start. And that is, unless you can prove to us this is not happening, and yeah. it all goes down to the connection between ownership and the product, mm -hmm. we're gonna just decide it's too much of a risk. There's still gonna be challenges, including the First Amendment. The ACLU opposes the TikTok bans for this reason. One way to possibly do it, and this is what another person we know well, Senator Michael Bennett has said, was that the Google and Google and Apple dropped them from the App Store. YouTube has done this in the past with RT News. That said, people could create, uh, there's, there's workarounds and, you know, a web app they could do that you could, anybody could get on the web. It's going to be very difficult. You can definitely shut it down by, by, in a weird way by attacking the app, but there's other ways if people really love it. And people have built businesses off this thing. There are business people who are doing rather well on the on the TikTok mm -hmm. app. And of, again, huge, huge US ownership of this company. And so there's going to be all kinds of like downstream impacts for doing something like this. It's, it is pretty unprecedented. And again, legal challenges, consumer backlash, et cetera, et cetera. 
But this is this is where I think it ends up, and, and that is the key to any negotiation. You only have to remember two things. The first We're is do it. don't get emotional about it. Don't make it a mm -hmm. win lose. Yeah. Don't don't make this feel sound racist or anti Chinese or outraged. Um, just just lay out your concerns and why we're doing this. And two, always show a credible willingness to walk away. Yeah. And, and in this instance, it is like, no, we came to play. We might ban you. <laughs> and to continue to advance the legislative support to, in fact, enact a ban. And I think once the CCP mm -hmm. sees it, no, shit's real. They're going to ban us. Yeah. I think that. They probably and, don't believe it because it's the U.S. and we're, right, they consider us such let's, like. Let's just wash over sloppies. all these whores with money. Yeah. And, and they, they can never agree on anything. Just yeah. wait them out. They'll tire, wait tire them, out. them out. They'll move on to the next insurrection or whatever it is. And then, but if we show we're on the eve of the banning of this thing, they're going to say, well, we used to have this ultimate propaganda tool and hundreds of billions of dollars. We can't have both. Which do we, or we might get zero here. Which do we want? And they'll think, well, it's either hold on to hundreds of billions or hold on to none of it. And I think that's at the point yeah, where they say, okay, we will, we will agree to some sort of safeguards that give you the requisite comfort, whether this it's spinning the U.S. business. This is pretty bipartisan. Whether it's that. spinning the U.S. business or some sort mm -hmm. of all data is stored on U.S. servers and there's no one, doing no one in China on touches that. it. But yeah, but it's still, there's still it's evidence. Be a spin. Like, it's got to be a spinner. It's not going to work. That pro that is, I think that and is by the probably way, what happens. If the Republicans get in charge, they're worse. I mean, Trump doesn't like China, as he calls it. So it's it's not like it's you're running. You know, if you stick with the Democrats, you're at, you're in a it's kind of a mess. Anyway, we'll see what happens. But Scott, you've been on the front lines of this, and I've been worried for many years. As I wrote many years ago, I was worried. All right, Scott, let's go on a quick break, and when we come back, Republicans go after business and tech, and we'll speak with a friend of Pivot, Jeff Kosif, about freedom of speech online. Scott, we're back. The GOP renewed its attacks on big tech this week. The industry was a popular target at CPAC, which was underattended. Apparently, Trump only filled half the room, the annual conservative gathering run by Matt Schlapp, who has some schlappy issues having to do with schlapping other men's junk. Representative Lauren Boebert and two other Republican senators put Section 230 on blast, and with Boebert calling for a big tech protection to be removed. Boebert's is a functional idiot, so that's not happening. Um, what what are they doing? The conservatives are forging a path towards internet censorship. Case in point, a new Texas bill would force ISPs to block access to sites that provide abortion information. Similar bills are coming out of all kinds of, uh, of states. Obviously, we just discussed Tennessee banning drag shows. I don't know what is wrong with them. And of course, we have to mention the speaker called for an end to quote, transgenderism and said, transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. The whole preposterous ideology. That speaker, uh, political commentator uh, Michael Knowles is now faces accusations as comments or a call for genocide. Uh, but still, they're moving forward. They're obsessed with uh, trans people. Um, this ban on drag shows and gender-affirming care for young people last week in Tennessee. In response, California Governor Gavin Newsom tweeted, Tennessee has the eighth highest murder rate in the nation. It ranks 44th among states for health outcomes. This is what the governor is focused on. So 
What do you think? Well, we have more to go in a minute, but please commentate on what I've just said, many things. Well, it, it's just disappointing that we have, and it's our fault, we have an ecosystem that rewards rage as opposed to anything that actually affects 99.9% .9 of the voters. Mm -hmm. And we have um, an environment where, you know, a number of kids, it's become more important where they live in America, not that they live in America. Mm -hmm. You know, we have real problems with young men. We have mating inequality. I mean, we just have, for the first time in our nation's history, a 30-year-old isn't doing as well as his or her parents were at 30, which is basically a breakdown on the fundamental compact of, of what America is supposed to be. And we're talking about swim meets. And we have Republicans trying to say these incredibly hateful things because it riles up a base that at the very extreme is just mean. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, the Democrats have stuck their chin out and take the debate, take the bait and spend a lot of their time rather than just saying, this is everyone, everyone deserves dignity, everyone deserves equal rights. They go all in on it. And we have, I, I, I do think we've screwed up in the sense that we've decided any discussion around this or any questions mm -hmm. around trans rights makes you a transphobe. Mm -hmm. And I think it's set up moderates to be more sympathetic to these ridiculous arguments. So I think I, there's... Again, but Scott, I'm sorry, you're blaming... Go ahead. Look, at, these are actual bills. Like, this is not... Angry trans people are no match for what's happening here. This is a, a bill that in Tennessee that would ban any kind of care and ban drag shows. Like, these people are actively doing things. And yep. then they're like, well, if trans people weren't so mean to moderates, like, come on. Come no on. one said that. No one said that trans angry trans people is is the problem here. The problem here is that the media and a lot of people on the left. If you start asking questions like, "Well, should someone at thirteen be able to start testosterone therapy without notifying their parents?" When you even ask those questions, you're labeled as transphobic. So it's become an issue that really riles up a lot of people who would probably default to this should be. When you take it into the schools, when you take around parents, take away parents' rights, and you take, you begin this kind of, this litmus test. If you even ask these questions, you start getting called names. It creates an ish, issues where there don't need to be any. Certainly, but it's because the conservatives are right behind people actively doing something about it and making it into a political issue that works. It certainly does, and it's sickening, actually. But let me just say, as someone who's a gay person, and I, they, mm -hmm. they say it's not the same thing, but it is the same thing, parents are dangerous to these kids. My mother was dangerous to me in this on this issue, not physically, but mentally. And so uh, people at school knew I was gay, I think, and didn't inform my mother, and I'm thrilled that they didn't. There's a um, different, hold on, hold on. Okay. That, that, yeah. is, that is the mother of all false equivalents. It's not. Suspecting someone has a different sexual orientation and not ratting them out to their parents or calling yeah. them saying, I'm concerned your daughter is a lesbian is much different than potentially letting them engage in gender affirmation treatment, which sometimes includes- Treatment is different than saying they, them. I understand that. Which I, includes, which includes uh, uh, hormone therapy and sometimes surgery, potentially in states where the legal age of medical consent is 13, 15, and 16, Regardless of where you where you come down on that, it's worth a discussion, and those are fair questions. Certainly. And when you ask those questions and want to have a, a conversation about it, you're inclined by not trans people. But see, okay, go, go ahead. ahead. Finish. We're not talking about these bills. You're talking about not being not being able to say what you want, which is the typical 
thing that you Yeah, but I'm talking but I'm talking about why this hateful speech re resonates with people because they see our side as not being reasonable to even have a discussion about it. All right, but here they are doing actual hateful bills. These Agreed. are like, they are hateful bills. Agreed. And they're not what actually helps voters. I don't think there's a big and, drag and queen problem in Tennessee or Agreed. Arkansas or anywhere else. Agreed. So this is what happens because they're cynical and they understand it. And here we are like finger pointing at each other when in fact, the actual actors are calling for things like they want eradication. I, I firmly believe that that's what they want. And when you say eradic eradication, what do you mean? Getting rid of transgender people. They would like this speech is not surprised me in no way to end transgenderism. They are uncomfortable with it. They hate it. They'd like it to go away. And then their next move is gay people. And then their next move is these people are, have have an agenda that is so sick. Um, and if you push back in any way, you're a groomer or a pedo or whatever. And then they, you get sucked up into that disastrous mess. And so I feel like it's, it, 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 we spent a lot of time arguing with each other when they're actually doing things. They're doing things rather than arguing about it. And that's where they become effective. And they're going to keep doing it. Let me give you another example. Um, Walgreens announced it won't carry abortion pills in 20 U.S. states, including 10 where abortion is legal. That includes Kansas, where voters, famous voters, upheld the right to abortion last year. Let's me say that again, voters. The move comes after 20 Republican attorney generals sent a letter to Walgreens warning of legal consequences, sold the drugs. Also report found that police are using data from social media, including Facebook messages to prosecute women for alleged abortions. Now, companies have to comply with the law. Walgreens is going further. CVS received the same letter, but hasn't commented. But in the past, it said it will stock these drugs. Um, I don't think there's anything tech can do about this, except encrypt everything. That's where we're going with these things. Yeah, I, I've always seen, and by the way, I think this is a different issue with a different level. Uh, I just think this is not even anti-women, this trend. This is anti-poor women, because there's just no getting around it. You're a rich woman in any city, anywhere in the nation, you're gonna have no problem getting access to this medication, or no problem getting on a plane and going where you need to go to terminate a pregnancy. This is a war on poor women. It's going to set us back economically. Every nation in the world, I mean, with the exception of Poland, every every nation you would call kind of a Western nation is moving in the right direction. I mean, for God's sakes, Mexico, which has a very yeah. strong religious component, has said protected a woman's Ireland. right to term to terminate. Yeah, Ireland, which is like has some of the most horrific stories of what's happened to women who become pregnant and their children. They've they've progressed. It's just sort of to me. It's quite frankly, it's a winning issue for the Democrats. This is an issue I would talk about more. You know, your child becomes pregnant, a ten year old gets raped, and this happened. And in that state, they want to force her to carry that child to term. And and granted, that's a very yep. you know isolated in instance and meant to trigger an emotional reaction, but it should trigger an emotional reaction. I've heard it from a half a dozen kids going to college in, recently, like where they want to go to college. I know it sounds crazy. And these are you know, mostly, not all of them are privileged kids, actually. Um, but it's like, mm, do I want to go to college in this state because of this? It's interesting. Like, what, I what don't, if by accident like, I get pregnant? Just contrasting it versus the trans issue. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, this, this impacts exponentially more people. A hundred percent. This is an American issue. And I do see this as straight, you know, this is just straight uh, liberty and what it means to be America. 
Um, On the trans side, I do think there's a longer conversation that the left needs to engage in, that they refuse to engage in, and it sticks out. It's not a monolith. Of course, people think parents should be involved. It's just this the the danger. Uh, I don't think you understand the danger involved that is is much of it. And this is the tip of the spear. Trans is the tip of the spear for all of this because it's easy to demonize this group of people and they've been demonized and beaten down for decades and so long. But it warrants a conversation. Also, just there's a question around, my 12 and 15 year old boys make highly irrational decisions every day. And you you said something before around parents can be awful. I agree with you that, that parents can be awful, but I still can't find a better system for giving the parents um, the jurisdiction around big decisions for kids under the age of 18, including this one. And so, but we, but whenever you want to have a conversation like this, it gets people very upset. They don't want to have a conversation. And I, I think res- more people do. I think you're a broad brush on people. People do want to have a conversation. I think it's just, we've seen this story before. Anyone who's been around these anti-LGBTQ people, we know them. Mm-hmm. And we know mm-hmm. what they're up to. And so this is wh- how they start. And then they move slowly down the, the stack because they, they'll never get over gay marriage until they, they, they cl- close it down. They will. I, I, I know it in the heart of hearts. I know them. Um, and one of the things that's hard here is that the, the people, the amount of kids you're talking about is so small. The numbers Agreed. are so minuscule. Tiny. The coverage, over coverage of this thing is crazy. And it over politicization is, is such a small, tiny. And the same thing with detransitioners. I feel terrible yeah, if that's a, what happens. Yeah, a pimple on the pimple of the elephant. Small, small, small. And the abortion yeah. issue is bigger. But to me, it's all a part of one package. And I'll tell you what the problem is, getting us back to tech and media, everyone leaves digital breadcrumbs everywhere. And so these these states attorney generals, these Republicans who are heinous for doing this, mm-hmm. um, are, are going to be able to find. And literally, as Alex Damos, and I think he's right, you have to comply. He said this. Um, and you have to give them what they want because you don't want know what they're investigating. He said the only realistic tech response is the wider use of end-to-end encryption. And that is where we're going. These companies will have to end-to-end encrypt and then they can go wipe their hands of it. Like, well, we don't have it. So anyway, we got to get to our guest yep. who is, is actually really good on this topic. Let's bring in our friend of Pivot. Jeff Kossif is an associate professor of cybersecurity law at the U.S. Naval Academy and the author of The United States of Anonymous, How the First Amendment Shaped Online Speech. He joins us today to discuss how new bills aimed at online speech could challenge the First Amendment. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. So let's get started. We've been just talking about a bunch of bills around trans issues and abortion issues, but there's a couple of state bills that caught our eye this past week. Help us unpack them. The first one is Florida Senate Bill 1316 that would require any blogger writing about Florida state officials to register with a government office. It's unprecedented, I think. Utah Senate Bill 152 is trying to say, hold my beer. It would require that minors obtain parental consent before using major social apps. One way of fixing the issue, I guess. Um, talk about those two first. Yeah, so I come at it really from the perspective of anonymity. I've I recently wrote a book about the historical mm-hmm. value of anonymous speech, and both of them, in different ways, really abrogate the ability of people to be anonymous online. The blogger mm-hmm. bill is terrifying for a variety of reasons. Uh, basically, requiring anyone who writes about state officials to register, which. Mm-hmm 
is really unprecedented, uh, both for its chilling effect on journalism and the ability to criticize people anonymously. Mm-hmm. And the Utah bill, that really um, doesn't directly require people to post under their real names, but you're requiring people to give your identifying information, possibly a driver's license, to an intermediary who could be mm-hmm. subject to a data breach, could be subpoenaed, uh, could be hacked, all sorts of things. So it really compromises the ability to be anonymous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what, it, what what chances they have? These things are sailing through all these conservative states, a lot of these things, in an attempt to like essentially shut down the First Amendment. I mean, do we have to worry about the bill's passing? Uh, it seems like an obvious First Amendment issue. Even Newt Gingrich called it insane. Florida has another bill in the works that would make it easier to sue journalists, um, which good luck with that. They've got to get to the Supreme Court, I suppose. So what what happens as they went through the system in terms of First Amendment and being anonymous? Well, so I worry about it at the moment it's proposed. A lot of mm-hmm. people are saying, don't worry about it. It's just one legislator who's proposing it. The Utah bill will probably become law. The governor said that he is prepared to sign it. Mm-hmm. The Florida bill, we don't know, but uh, we know that there's a big push in Florida to loosen protections for defamation cases, which is mm-hmm. a really serious threat. And I, I think that there's really this creeping willingness to revisit what we thought were established First Amendment protections. Mm-hmm. And that should be really scary for everyone. I mean, I was a First Amendment attorney and a journalist, and I really kind of took those protections for granted for so many years. And mm-hmm. I never really thought that we'd be in a place where we saw these proposals and we saw really powerful people touting them. So I think the time to worry is now. Jeff, isn't there a difference between a bill that says that journalists could be liable for saying something and that that would just have a chilling effect on journalism and uh, i mean you can see that going a lot of bad places very fast and then uh, i believe anonymity is a different issue that in a wealthy society where there's certain legal protections we have to balance um the importance of people being able to criticize people anonymously with what has broken out uh, online, and that is the cloud cover of anonymity. In my opinion, has led a lot of back, given a lot of bad actors the power to create divisiveness and rage, and shape the discourse in a very ugly way. Isn't there some middle ground here? It strikes me that these first, sometimes under the auspices of First Amendment absolutism, they say it all should all be anonymous, and I worry that that actually ends up creating a discourse that's much more coarse and actually turning free speech into just amorphous speech where nothing means nothing anymore. I apologize for the for the for the long-winded question here, Jeff. No, I, I think those are all really valid points. So I the right to anonymity in the United States is not absolute. It's very strong. Uh but the right applies to when the government tries to compel people to provide their identifying information. So Platforms are free to set their own policies, and Facebook has long had a real name policy that has drawn a lot of criticism from marginalized groups that don't have the ability, the luxury to be able to speak under their real names. I would also point out that there have been studies that have found that people actually can be more aggressive 
online when they're posting under their real names because yeah. they take more ownership and they take more offense. So, uh, and, and it is possible to pierce the veil of anonymity with a subpoena if you meet a First Amendment standard. Uh, but I would just point out that anonymity is, for me, I mean, I'm a professor who has tenure. I have the luxury of being able to speak under my real name, but mm-hmm. victims of stalking, domestic violence survivors, whistleblowers, youths in unsafe home situations, those are people who don't have that same luxury. And I, I think that it's dangerous to minimize the, those interests. And it becomes dangerous when you have the government saying, you must provide your identifying information because we think that people are doing bad things anonymously. And I think I, I completely understand the temptation to do that, but I also think that it can get us into some really dangerous situations where we're shutting out people who otherwise would not have a voice. We're also putting information in the hands of people I don't particularly trust. We don't trust them to protect our children in general. Giving them more data is not doesn't seem to be the answer. But uh, can I ask a follow-up, Sure, go ahead. Is, is there a hybrid solution where we support the rights to anonymous accounts, but they have higher standards? And that is, if it appears that your content under the auspices of an anonymous account is just doing divisive things and has no real theme to it and just appears to be focused on stoking rage. Yeah, it just strikes me that you could fairly easily figure out who is a bad actor here. And and, and by the way, saying really offensive things that you may not believe with or you believe are that's one thing. But it strikes me that it would be there is sort of a middle ground here that we could have a higher bar on anonymous accounts because I just worry that this blanket permission um, leads to bad places that end up causing, you know, creating more damage than they they protect us from. Well, we already do have that. I, I would say that, I mean, if I were to go and defame you on social media mm-hmm. and you were to sue the anonymous poster, who was me, mm-hmm. um, you would be able to issue a subpoena uh, that would get my... IP address and you'd have to meet a high bar. You'd have to show that you have a valid defamation claim, but you, but that still, I I, I think the danger is if you start trying to have the government or someone else judge who's stoking rage, I think that gives a lot of discretion. And while Mm -hmm. you might trust the person who currently has that discretion, the person who has that discretion tomorrow, you might not trust. It's the same thing. It's the same Mm -hmm. thing with misinformation. People, Mm -hmm. there have been proposals to, limit misinformation. And while I completely understand the motivation, I all, there's a lot of people I don't want defining what is misinformation. That's a great point. So in the Florida bill, if it becomes law, would journalists publish anonymously on platforms like Reddit or Medium? Or how does the, how does the government plan to like make people, I'd never register with the government as a journalist. Good luck. I'd rather go yeah. to jail. I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen some justifications that it's akin to the lobbyist registration system. Yeah, yes, that's uh, what but, but I that that really doesn't fly. I, I don't I mean the way that I read it, anyone who receives any sort of compensation, it could be substack fees, it mm-hmm. could be any Google ad revenue, that would trigger this registration requirement. I don't know how they would enforce it. Um but but again I, I I've seen a lot of people saying Let's not worry about it, but I, I'm worried about it because it, it, it's it's something that the the states are laboratories for democracy and also for really bad ideas, and I, I I'm worried that some of that is playing out right now. 
Yeah, and it also is a hand-wavy thing, you know, let's attack trans people, and now let's attack journalists, now let's attack this. It's part of the entire, you know, menu of hate that they seem to be enjoying. It's ironic that Republicans want to claim journalists are lobbyists when we learn that Rupert Murdoch, owner of Fox News, gave unaired Biden apps to Jared Kushner. It does get to the idea of what Scott was talking about, that anonymous speech does make some people uncomfortable, but... Will it always be part of the internet? You're seeing more and more register for this, use your real name. Facebook is about to do this with a new Facebook Plus, essentially. You know, obviously, many people have criticized the real names policy. How how long is this going to go on before everyone does have to be identified? Do you think that will change or is there always somewhere to be anonymous on the internet? Well, I hope there will be somewhere to be anonymous because there are a lot of people who really need it. Um, I, I think that right now we really leave it up to the marketplace in the United States to determine whether there will be a requirement for a real name. There are other countries like China where you have to register your real name with the government before mm-hmm. you use social media. Sure. Um, I, I don't think, hopefully we won't get to a situation like that because we know exactly why they're requiring people to register their real names with the government. And it's not to maintain civil discourse. My next question is in terms of, it says deterring aggression. And you're a, a First Amendment scholar. Do you think that speech and social media and the algorithms here, I mean, a lot of people would argue we're eating, uh, the, the greatest threat to America is not external, it's internal. Just what is your view of how we correspond or information in the media uh, internally? And do you see it as a national security threat? I think certainly, I mean, one of the reasons why I spend so much time looking at free speech in the law is because I think there are some very vital national security concerns uh, with with a lot of the discourse. I, I think that uh, I my immediate impulse is not censorship because mm-hmm. I think uh, that's not going to be terribly effective in a whole variety of ways. Uh, I mean, I think when you're talking about algorithms, I think having a privacy bill, a privacy law that's actually effective would be great. I mean, what we have in the United States is really, frankly, garbage in terms of the privacy protections. I mean, we have California doing something mm-hmm. that's not terribly effective. Uh, but, but I mean, I, I think we need to be very specific about what companies can and cannot collect. And I think that would go a long way in addressing the broader problems Agreed. without getting into yep. censorship of speech. Because that's where you mess up. Um, speaking of which, we were talking about this earlier, does a TikTok ban run afoul of the First Amendment? Speaking of one of hmm. the bigger issues, obviously they're going to they're going to defend themselves via the First Amendment, presumably, but maybe not. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I think there would be a strong argument. I mean, it, we, we've obviously not seen any analog that mm-hmm. we could easily apply here. So a lot of it will ultimately come down to which judges hear the case. But I, I mean, I think that shutting down an entire venue for speech would absolutely raise First Amendment concerns. And then what? And, and I mean, that, that that could result in the ban not not being permitted if, if it's found to be a violation of the First Amendment. But uh, I mean, it, I, I think it really is going to be so judge dependent because we're this is this is really getting into unprecedented territory here. So, what do we need to protect speech online in the future? From your besides those privacy bills, transparency bills, algorithmic transparency bills, things like that, 
antitrust. So I'll give bills. a plug for my book that's coming out in the fall called Liar in a Crowded Theater, which addresses misinformation, explains why we, our legal system pr- protects a lot of falsehoods, not all of them, and looks at ways to address misinformation without censorship. And I think, um, President Obama spoke at Stanford last year and he made a really good point where he said, we focus so much on the supply and we don't focus much on the demand. And I, I think other countries are doing better than we are in terms of addressing things like media literacy, civics education, uh, figuring out some sort of sustainable model for the news media, uh, making ju- just making people more discerning uh, and building trust. I, I think uh, Denmark, for example, did an excellent job in public health messaging by admitting during COVID what they know and what they didn't know. Uh, I think we didn't do all, all that great of a job and a variety of fronts with that. Um, but, but, and I, I think if you look at what DHS did with unveiling a disinformation governance board in the clumsiest mm-hmm. manner possible, um, right. that, that, that's not how you do it. And, and I, I think that we, we, we can do a lot of things to make people better judges without immediately saying we are going to have the government be the arbiter of truth and censor. That's a great name for a book, by the way. You can yell fire in a crowded theater if there's a fire. Um, there's <laughs> People forget that. Yes. People forget that part. Scott, last question. I would just love to hear your pitch to parents for why they should um, be excited when their uh, daughters and sons decide they want to join the Navy. Uh if, well, if they want to go to the Naval Academy, we have a top-tier cyber operations program that is an interdisciplinary major that teaches both technical skills, law, policy, ethics, and human factors engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the, the Navy is crucial to our national security, uh, and we are adapting to the cyber age by preparing on a variety of fronts. And when you teach but, at the Navy, do you have to learn how to sail? I know that oh all the Scott, no, 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 I'm not. Stop, Scott. No, stop. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop, I'm, Scott, right I'm, now. I'm a civilian, but I will say that. You um, have to learn how to sail when you go no, into the Navy. Don't. I didn't so, know that. so, my first day of class, all the students stood at attention, yeah. and I didn't know they were going to do that. And I was That's looking at awesome. them and I said, How do I get you guys to sit down? And then I learned that I have to tell them at ease. So, uh, That's great. That, that was, that, yeah, that was a learning experience. My father was a lifelong naval officer, so I have some knowledge of the Navy. Um, la- I'm going to give you a last question on the on the speech thing. So what to you is the most dangerous thing happening, the most problematic thing for f- online speech right now? I think it is the most problematic thing is the attempt to abrogate the protections of uh, for in defamation cases. Uh, you see it in Florida, but it's not just Florida. You have two Supreme Court justices who have called to revisit New York Times versus Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And I think this Florida bill, if it passes, and it very well could, will be a vehicle for the Supreme Court to do that. And I think that would be devastating for speech both online and offline. And I worry that the standard editorial pages and so forth are not are not paying enough attention to that because I think it is just really coming down the road and it will be a real threat if, if this happens. And I think when you look at what the Supreme Court has done in recent years, I don't see any reason to doubt that this is a possibility. All right. 
Jeff. That's dire, I think. I think you're absolutely right, though. Jeff Kossoff is on Twitter at Jay Kossoff. Um, and his book, The United States of Anonymous, How the First Amendment Shaped Online Speech is Available. His new one is coming when? In October. In October. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks so much. Thanks, Professor. All right, Scott, I'm going to call you Popeye the Sailor Man. You have so many interesting questions about the Navy. <laughs> well, I, I think I've told you this. When I was 17, my father took me on a college tour. Yeah. And our college tour yeah. was going to Annapolis to take yeah. a tour of the U.S. Naval Academy. My dad, yeah, was in the Royal, my dad was in the Royal Navy, and he pitched mm -hmm. it real hard. Mm -hmm. And he gave me a hard sell and said, if you go to the Naval Academy, I'll buy you a Trans Am. I'm like, oh, a Trans Am. Wow. My dad, the cheapest man in the world, is pushing so hard for the wow. Navy. And then I found out there's no tuition. If you get in, you mm -hmm. get to go for free. Yeah. I remember saying, what do you need to get in? They're like, well, we look for academic achievement, athletic achievement. I'm like, okay, right. no and sort of. Mm -hmm. And also you have to get a letter from your senator. And I'm like, dad, we don't know senators. I mean, who are you, what right. do you think? We're like, like I'm just mm -hmm. not getting in here. I'm not outstanding and we're mm -hmm. not connected. And, and then that same week, I went to these parties, uh, fraternity parties at UCLA during sorority rush. And I'm like, I'm going to go with this whole UCLA thing. But my dad yeah. tried to pitch me on, on Annapolis. Yeah. Well, it's a great school. It's a really great school. Yeah, amazing school. Jimmy Carter, John McCain. Jimmy Carter, John McCain. 20 yep, or 30 my, astronauts, 50 I will Nobel say my Prize own dad winners. was in the Navy. He did not oh, go to- That's not your dad. He did not go to Annapolis, but it got him, at, it paid for his college and- He was a doctor, right? He was a doctor and college and medical school it paid for it. And then he served almost until he died. And uh, he really, I think, liked it. He seemed to, it was good. It was a great way to come up in, from a middle-class, you know, upbringing. His mom was a teacher. What type of doctor was your father, Kara? Anesthesiologist, just like Dr. Oh, he was Jeff. an anesthesiologist. Yeah. Anyway, um, he had just gotten out uh, and he died very soon after. But uh, I know it was a great experience for him. How long and, did he serve? Oh, since he was in college. We know he was in whatever the equivalent of ROTC um, and then went to medical school. So he was he was in the Navy for medical school, but of course didn't serve. And then after he got out of um, 10 years, it must've been 10 years at least. 10 years, and, anyway. And where was he back. stationed? Uh, different places. He was in Santa Domingo. He was in, uh, he was, that was an action we had there. He was, he worked on the NASA program a little bit with the astronauts, um, picking them up. Um, he, uh, he worked all over the place in Philadelphia, uh, all, all kinds of places. I mean, you know, it did, they didn't move a lot because the doctor doesn't have to, but, um, nonetheless, he was, uh, I think it did a great, it was, I thought about joining the Navy and I couldn't because I was gay because people hate gay people. Just so you know, let's get back to that. Anyway, I could have been in the Navy. I would have been an admiral right now. I would have been Top Gun or whatever. Anyway, I have terrible eyesight. I wouldn't have been Top Gun. All right. When we take one more quick break, we'll be back for wins and fails. Okay, Scott, why don't you start? Wins and fails. Uh, my win is I wrote a post on affection uh, this week, and it's one of my favorite posts. And just as I wrote it, I got an email from a woman named Jennifer Wallace, who's mm -hmm. a reporter with the Wall Street Journal. And she wrote kind of the post I wish I had written. It's so lovely. And there's a lot of research around specific gender roles and how dads are too emotionally guarded in terms of kind mm -hmm. of emotional caregiving. And I'll just I'll just Can read be. I'll just read some of the 
um, some of the senses from her article. Intimacy between a parent and a child acts as a protective buffer against the day-to-day challenges of life. Sociologists have found that warm, caring fathers produce what they call the good father effect. Mm-hmm. Um, researchers found that closeness with fathers was associated with fewer weight concerns, higher self-esteem, and fewer depression symptoms for both boys and girls. Close relationships mm-hmm. with mothers provided positive benefits, but for a narrower range of ages and fathers. In the context of two-parent families, the protective effects of father-youth intimacy may be more apparent than those of mother-youth intimacy, uh, mostly because it's more variable. Mm-hmm. And what I found was so inspiring about this and tragic is that there's, I don't want to say there's fault, but there's places that both, in, and I, I recognize I'm talking about a traditional heteronormative household. Sure, you are. Yeah. And um Although so, last night Alex called me dad for taking him to the basketball game, but go ahead. Well, I, I believe two-parent households, and sometimes uh, the dad can take on more feminine attributes and the mother more masculine. But anyways, mm-hmm. point is uh, there is real tangible benefits to having uh, two adults, uh, two caregivers. But anyways, having yep. said that, I find in the article points this out that men are emotionally stunted and raised to believe that being the emotional caregiver for the child is a sign of a lack of strength. Yeah. And it can oftentimes be, um, it can make all the difference in the world in a child's life. And I fell into the same trap. And that is until they were really kind of 10 or 11, mm-hmm. I was thought my job was to be the disciplinarian and the heavy. Mm-hmm. And to not, you know, and now what I found a lot of times when my kid's upset, I don't say, well, actually you screwed up. I'm just like there to like tell them they're wonderful and ask yeah. them how they're doing mm-hmm. and try and be really just emotionally, be that emotional buffer. And it's not only made me much closer with my children, I think it's going to make them more confident as they get older. And I try not to coddle them. I try to be upfront, especially as they get older, about what's required of them to be successful. Mm -hmm. But I also think there's some, and we never like to put any sort of blame or suggestions on on mothers, but the article goes into this notion that a lot of mothers uh, ring fence the emotional relationship with the child because they're better at it. I've seen it. They're better at it, and they develop this protective immune response of no on emotional stuff. I handle it, and you're Homer Simpson and an idiot around this stuff, so just stay I've the fuck it. away. I've seen it. It's, and, it. I watch straight couples a lot, and actually, I I saw I've seen mothers can. It's, it doesn't happen with lesbians. I'll be honest with you, but the swooping in effect, the swooping yeah, in, I, I got can handle this. it. If it's important yeah. or involves tears, it's mom mom's or diaper, or you're doing it wrong. I, yeah. I was always like Stop. so. Just let them do it wrong. And here's a and here's the real tragedy. Mm-hmm. I think men, I think a lot of us really have those inclinations and those emotions. Yeah. I think we we want to be there for our sons and our it's daughters. Been taught out of you That's on a on been. a deeper emotional level. It's like we have these instincts. We want to just grab yeah. our kids when they're not doing well and and let them, you know, let them fall into our arms and just be very supportive. Yeah. Yeah, they're there. It's taught out of you. Interestingly, Louis B. Swisher would prefer to be a caregiver of the kids. He does. He wants a he wants a hot investment banker wife, and he wants to take care of the kids and do the garden and cook and stuff. He's, we talked about it a lot, and he feels great about it. But he's he would be a better caregiver than most people. He's a fantastic brother, and uh, I have to say, he's not even slightly embarrassed by it. But I'll tell you, other men certainly would be right. Well, just the sense to summarize what we're talking about from this article, when women take on the role of being the sole emotional caregiver, the Mm -hmm. only one who can comfort a child, the one who talks about emotions, 
It further entrenches the idea that the expression of vulnerable feelings belongs to the domain of women. Yeah. And anyway, so my win is just this wonderful article. It's actually in the Wall Street Journal of all places. And there's one by, by Jennifer Wallace. And my, my call out is for us men to say, given to those wonderful instincts we have to sometimes just not guide your child, not coach them, not discipline them, but just just in a very raw way, love them and emotionally support them. Yep. And also that couples need to ensure that no one partner is sequestering the other from emotional support. Yep. Agreed. What's your fail? That that that, that would literally has taken up all my bandwidth. That's all I have. All right. Okay. All right. Ah, oh, gosh, I fail. Well, all these bills. I mean, the the, yeah, uh, the te- Tennessee one. Uh, whatever. We won't do drag for you. You. They they all of course dress up quietly in their basements by themselves. That's what you know. One of the things I always noticed about San Francisco is the freak was on the outside and the normal was on the inside, and their their freak is hidden deeply, and it's going to create. Such hatred in that in that state. I'm not going there anymore. That's you see John Stewart's piece. No, what did he do? What's the leading cause of death amongst children in this country? And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not drag show readings to children. Correct. Yes. I'm trying to think if my kids have ever been exposed to it. I would like them to be exposed to it, but I don't think they ever have. It's what what is it that triggers them so? It's they're fun. Like ugh. They're so sick in the head. They're so deeply, deeply sick in the head. And it's a disease that they need to, and and they have have legislative power. And boy, would they like us back into the, uh, even worse. I I don't even, they want us to go back even further than we've come far. But you know what? We're not going to, we're not dying quiet deaths anymore, as they used to say in Angels in America. You can fuck yourself. We're not going anywhere. When, I would say, everyone needs to see everything everywhere all at once. Great movie. I did interview Jamie Lee Curtis, but I've also interviewed Michelle Yeoh and others in it. And it's a fantastic, talk about a life-affirming movie. What a life-affirming movie about, 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 about grief and also about happiness and about feeling frustrated and our different lives. And that if you want to experience life and enjoy a session with hot dog fingers, you will enjoy it. Is it, can kids watch it? How? Yes. Yes, yeah. it's wonderful. You know what? There's some dildos. I'll be honest with you, but they're huh. they're funny. You'll okay. like it. It's it's worth it in oh, every man. way. I do have another fail. Twitter has experienced another outage, and Elon Musk replied to a user saying, "And let's do a deep sigh here, and let's pretend he's doing a deep sigh because he wrote it. This platform is so brittle. Sigh will be fixed shortly. Okay, it's not your fault. You're you're the owner, sir. Fix it." Fix it, fix it, fix it. But he can land a rocket on a surfboard. He can land a rocket on a surfboard and drown puppies. You can fix Twitter. Anyway, we want to hear from you. Send us your questions about business tech or whatever's on your mind. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. Scott, that's the show. We'll be back on Friday for more. What a full show of things. And I like our little back and forth about trans issues. Um, But I appreciate the debate in any case. So read us out. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Injertot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Neil Silverio. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Dads, surrender to your instincts. Be there emotionally. Express your emotions and your love for your kids. 